Good morning. Let's go ahead and start off with prayer here. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for another opportunity to examine your word. Please use this time to shape our earthly walk with you as we learn more about one of the nine marks of a healthy church. May the marks we examine today help us as a church body, but more importantly, as individual Christians to be disciples you have called us to be. In your name we pray, amen. So for the, those of you that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting formally, uh, formally, my name is Randy Maglinger. Don't worry, even though we haven't met formally, everyone here, including myself, are asking the same question. What is he doing up there? That's a great question. If you know the answer, let me know later. Um, I recall Moses pleading with God. I shared this with uh, Pastor Adam uh, when he approached me with this opportunity. And Moses uh, was pleading with God. He said, I'm not eloquent in speech. Or perhaps the song, There's a Fountain Filled with Blood, where it says, When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. Every time I sing that song or hear that verse, I say, Hey, that's me. <laughs> I can relate. Well, um, with all seriousness aside, let's take a look. <laughs> Uh, we had an individual, um, it was a secondary school, a student was uh, graduating, and he had his speech prepared, and the school, what they did was in the podium, they put the speeches in order, so the person would come up, they'd put the speech down, and then they'd read it off, and then they'd put it on the other side, next person comes up, gets their speech. Well, the student who was a uh, uh, valedictorian, uh, when it was his turn to come up, the person before... Uh, grabbed the speech and ended up pulling it out and it fell all over. All the speeches fell all over. And the one percenter, he came up and uh, nervous being in that setting, obviously, he um, he's fumbled around. He couldn't get his speech in the right order. So he just threw his hands up and he said, yeah, I'm done. I can't do this. And so he sat back down. So I hope you understand that uh, I have things prepared. I apologize, it uh, may not be the most dynamic uh, in the sense that uh, I will be reading uh, a vast majority of the items that I prepared, but uh, uh, I wanted to make sure that thoughtful consideration was put into uh, today's uh, lesson. If I could uh, have some volunteers, uh, I have about eight verses that we're going to read along the way, and so uh, could somebody take Genesis 1.22? Thank you. Uh, Acts 6, verses 1 and 7. Thank you. Uh, Genesis 128. Thanks, Paul. Uh, Acts 12, 24. Genesis 9, 1. Acts 13, verse 49. Thank you. And then two more. Jeremiah 29, 6. And then Acts 19.20. Thank you. Okay, so the question to start us off is, if I were to ask you, what does discipleship mean to you? And as a former educator, I, I am very familiar with a long, awkward pauses of wait time. So, <laughs> just an early warning. Roy.
Thank you. If somebody were to approach you from outside the church, what would your explanation be of what is discipleship? Very good. So how many of us in here would classify ourselves as having green thumbs? Anybody? Roy is saying absolutely not. I'm kind of right there with you. Although Jessica and I, were, we're learning. We certainly don't have green thumbs. We're working at it. In the fall, we planted tulip bulbs, and they turned out beautifully in late March and April. And guess what? We did absolutely nothing for the tulips to grow. We planted the bulbs in the fall. We patiently waited until spring to see if they would flourish. Surprisingly, they grew, although we did nothing to help that process. For Jessica's birthday in early March, <clears throat> we planned a day trip to Franklin, Missouri. It's right outside of Columbia if you've never been there. It's a quaint little town. There's this little nursery that we stopped at. It's called Vintage Hill Farms. Anybody been there by chance? I'd never heard of it uh, until a friend had introduced me to it. We walked right in, and right in front of us was this beautiful plant that we knew absolutely nothing about, but we knew that we had to get it. We purchased this plant. It's nicknamed the Pink Lantern Plant, or the Chandelier Tree. Has anybody heard of that? It is, uh, uh, this plant is a stunning creation of God. The plant is beautifully adorned with these chandelier pink flowers that look just like tiny grapes. The plant is native to the Philippines and requires special care for it to flourish. And needless to say, we could not provide that special care. We grew concerned when we noticed that the plant was not growing. In fact, each day resulted in more of the chandelier flowers falling to the ground. It didn't take long, despite our best efforts, to nurse it back to health for the plant to wither up and it died, although Jessica claims it's still not dead. It's dead. Uh, we backtracked our steps to see what went wrong. The issue was that night, uh, we didn't come straight home. We stayed in Columbia, and being early March, uh, uh, we had to keep the plant in the car while we are at the hotel. And that night, it got, uh, the temperatures uh, went down to just a tad below freezing. Because of that, it shocked the plant enough that it was only a matter of time before it wilted and died. The plant, or should I say the sticks of the plant, now sits in our house as a sad reminder of the once healthy and vibrant plant it used to be. How many can relate to this? And how many churches can relate to this? Where a once vibrant church, once healthy, growing together, and then at one point, the shock of something was a turning point for the church. Much like the chandelier plant, the church will either grow, wilt, or die if the right conditions are not met. Well, what are the right conditions? We'll take a look at those today. Much like watching a plant or a farmer watching his crop, we need to be mindful spectators to see how God continues to build this church. Size of a church is not determination of a, of a healthy church. There are small churches who are effectively growing, and there's large churches with very little to no spiritual success. 
Never measure a church's spiritual strength by its numbers. The easiest thing to do is attract people. Just advertise seeker-friendly slogans and programs. The hard thing is to make disciples. There are reasons a church prospers spiritually and grows numerically, and today we'll take a look at uh, discipleship. A preacher uh, by the name of Howard Hendricks, he's a Dallas Dallas pastor, and he was at a Moody conference. He outlined the, the marks of an effective church, and these marks are common denominators in identifying a healthy church. The more of these that a church has, the healthier the church is. Not all healthy churches have all these marks, but all healthy churches have some of them. And the more they have, the healthier the church can be. The chapter was titled, A Biblical Concern for Discipleship and Growth, and it started off with a story about an individual named Rob. Let's see if we can relate, or if we know somebody uh, who can relate with Rob's story. Rob's friend, Sean, invited him to a church activity. Following the activity, Rob talked with Sean and another individual named Sarah. The conversation started out light in context, but then it grew in intensity. Rob opened up. He felt comfortable. He felt he could be honest with Sean and Sarah. He felt like his life was out of control, and he shared this with them. Sean and Sarah, they shared what it it means to be a Christian and the free gift of forgiveness. Sarah handed him a pamphlet with prayer for Rob to repeat line by line. Following that prayer, Sean and Sarah were excited to announce that he too had become a Christian. From this point, Rob lived an outstanding life. People in church even saw him as being a pillar for the church. He got involved in a church that had some feel-good sermons. If If cornered, he would have had to confess that he didn't know very much about the Bible. Rob had his own thoughts about God. He shared these with people, but he didn't get these thoughts from the Bible. They were simply things that he thought for himself. He saw the gospel as a pretty straightforward offer from God to forgive our sins if he was willing to forgive our sins if we just own up to them. He knew Jesus had died on the cross. He knew that was important, but he wasn't sure exactly why. Rob viewed evangelism as something other church staff members should do. He even felt that he had done this a time or two along the way, but it primarily was not his job. He went through periods of being involved in church and other periods of being less involved. Rob started to get nervous when his daughter started to have thoughts of becoming a missionary because of things that she had been taught at the church. Because of this, he decided he was going to forbade her uh, from being an active participant in choir youth group, Bible study, or even a church, uh, attend church for a while. He wasn't too worried about this approach since he believed once saved, always saved. And he knew he was saved because he had prayed that prayer with Sean and Sarah. Rob didn't see eye to eye with teachings of a new pastor, and he felt he would just wait him out. He let others know that he wouldn't be as involved for, uh, for a while because of this particular pastor. Is it surprising that Rob wasn't growing as a Christian? Is it also surprising that he didn't bother, uh, that it didn't bother him that he wasn't growing as a Christian? Do we know individuals in our lives very similar to Rob? And what is the church to do about stories much like Rob? The chapter offered five questions. Number one, 
Are such desires for spiritual growth biblical? Or can we as believers be settled, comfortable, and secure with salvation with the stagnant growth? Number two, if we do want to grow spiritually as individuals and as a church, then how do we go about doing that? Number three, what am I trying to do in my own church to help our growth? Four, is spiritual growth really so important? And five, what if we as a church body or as individuals don't grow? A healthy church is characterized by having members who are focused and concerned for their spiritual growth. In a healthy church, people want to get better at following Jesus Christ. The author, Mark Deaver, outlined some verses that I'd like for us to read today. Genesis 1.22, please. God commanded the creatures of the land and the sea to multiply. Genesis 128. Thank you. God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 9.1. God wiped out the world in judgment with the flood. God promised Abraham that his descendants would be great and would increase. The children of Israel multiplied and increased in number even during the Egyptian captivity. And then Jeremiah 29, 6. Even in Babylonian exile, God blessed them through Jeremiah's instruction to be multiplying and increasing. The author in this chapter, he pointed to God's, uh, to the biblical examples of how God seems to view abundance as a blessing. Do you think the author's point in this exercise through the Old Testament is to prove a large church is an indication of a healthy church? No. That's not his point at all. Does numerical growth of a church mean it's healthy? Not necessarily. The concern of the church should be not on numbers, but on spiritual growth and deepening faith of its congregation. Psalms 20, uh, 92, 12 through 13 states, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Abundance of blessing for the individual Christian and the spiritual growth of a church comes from the congregation increasing in strength by increasing their wisdom. And to increase wisdom by associating with the wise, as outlined in Proverbs 24.5 and Proverbs 13.20. Jesus spoke of how his kingdom will grow in fulfillment of his prophecy. In Matthew 13, verse 32, Though it is the smallest of your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. 
With the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, God started to build his church as outlined in verses we'll focus on in Acts. Somebody would, uh, Acts 6, verses 1 and 7. Number of disciples increased rapidly in Acts. Acts 12, verse 24. God's word continued to increase and spread. Acts 13, verse 49. And then Acts 19, verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The New Testament verses once again focus on numerical growth. However, numerical growth is not the goal to pray for. The New Testament idea of growth involves people who are maturing and deepening their faith. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him, who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. How does the church grow and deepen their faith? Colossians 2.19 outlines very similar thoughts. Provides us with this answer. Christ is the head, from whom the whole body, supported and uh, held together by its ligaments, and grows as God causes it to grow. If we're not careful, the growth of a church can produce pride. Instead, spiritual growth needs to be manifest, uh, manifest a humility that recognizes that God is providing the church to grow in its spiritual understanding. Much like the tulip bulbs, Jessica and I had no power over that. We put the bulbs in the soil, and God took care of the rest. The church is very similar, but we need to be nurturing it. When opportunities arise, we need to be watering it. We need to be taking care of our personal uh, investment in spiritual growth so that the body can grow together. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love everyone, uh, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Paul is giving God the credit for the growth of the church. Much like the green thumb story with the tulips and the chandelier plant, Mark chapter 4, verse 27, is where Jesus compares the kingdom of God to the growth of a farmer's crop, saying, Night and day, whether the farmer sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The verse does not give us the liberty to have a laissez-faire approach, uh, to the church and to our growth. But it does highlight how the growth of the church or his kingdom does not depend solely on us. This thought should produce a humility focused on grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How then do we grow as Christians? What kind of church cultivates such discipleship among its members? By attending a healthy church, which is characterized by the nine marks, 
I will not dive into each one of these um, uh, that was summarized in this chapter, but I will list them knowing that these will be covered in the upcoming weeks. Expositional preaching was covered last week. Uh, Next week, I believe uh, a biblical understanding of church discipline will be um, uh, focused on. A biblical understanding of church membership, a biblical understanding of practice of prayer, gospel doctrine, biblical understanding of church leadership, and a biblical understanding and practice of missions. The last part of the chapter focused on the following items. Pastor visitation, growth together as a church, what if we don't grow, and the importance of good growth. Pastor visitation, a simple concept, the author was sharing his vision for his own congregation. His vision was, with the help of the elders, he wanted to meet the church members of the congregation, interview all potential new members, and he wanted to converse with them about their own understanding of the gospel and their personal testimony of becoming Christian. This practice will help him better understand the body of his church. There are questions he outlined as um, outlined for pastor visitation. His questions were, in what particular ways have you grown in your understanding of the Christian life since we last met? What if we were to engage in these type of questions uh, on a weekly basis? How have you grown in your practice of the Christian life since we last met? In what particular areas do you feel you need instruction? Are you disappointed in your own pursuit of holiness? If so, explain. And how specifically can I pray for you? Just imagine if the church body became comfortable enough where these type of questions didn't just fall on the shoulders of Pastor Adam and the elders. What if we explored these questions with one another organically? This type of examination takes trust, takes us to be vulnerable, and a desire for iron to sharpen iron. I remember the beginning of my teaching career at Truman High School back in 2003. We had a group of about 20 uh, male teachers who would meet each Tuesday morning before school. We would dig into the Word of God, and we took time to challenge each other. Those conversations were difficult, challenging, but they were oh so enriching. Perhaps it was because we were in the same trench together that we felt we could be vulnerable with one another. We had such a bond through Christ that we could let our guards down, lean on one another, and build one another up. As the years went on, the men in the group moved to other positions or ended up retiring. However, the closeness that we developed over those meetings has never faded. Today, I could reach out to any of those individuals, and they would be there to pour over the scriptures, pray with me, or ask these type of questions as if we were still meeting on a weekly basis. Much like family, if you think about it. My brother, uh, my oldest brother lives in Omaha. My other brother lives in Evansville, Indiana. And we talk on the phone from time to time. But each time that we pick up phone and or see each other, it's as if we had never left. It's that closeness that we share as a family. And even though um, uh, we, we got together and we've uh, since moved on, Scripture says iron sharpens iron. It doesn't say paper sharpens paper. 
We are to be as strong as iron in our faith, our understanding of God, so that we can build each other up. The author outlined his hope to grow together as a church by living out their pledge to God and to others in the church. He provided a lengthy covenant, which for the sake of time, I will read just a few passages from their covenant. They read this each time uh, they partake in communion. It says this, Having as we trust been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him, and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. We will work and pray for unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love as, become, uh, as becomes the members of the church, Christian church, exercise in affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat on other, another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will rejoice, rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor uh, with tenderness in sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in the church. We will, when we move from the, this location, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Once again, these are just excerpts from the Capitol Hill Baptist Church's covenant that they read each time they take communion. The covenant reflects the importance of the church body to grow spiritually as individuals, but also as a collective group. This is not the sole responsibility of the pastor. We are to teach one another, strengthen each other's faith. So what if we don't grow? What about that story of Rob at the beginning of the lesson? Why was he not growing? Perhaps he's not a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? It does not mean that you're perfect, but it does mean that your heart is seeking God. God, by his own gracious action in your life, has placed a, des a desire in you to live a life pleasing to him. Spiritual growth is a sign of life and a sign of a healthy church. When the church is growing in the Christ-likeness, who gets the credit? God gets the credit, as outlined in 1 Corinthians 3.6. It states, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Peter challenged and encouraged the church to live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Peter was remembering the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, Let your shine before me, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus didn't stop at the, the part in the verse where it says that they may see your good deeds. The verse ended to ensure that God gets the glory when it said, and praise your Father in heaven. Work to promote Christian discipleship and growth uh, is working to bring in glory, not of ourselves, but to God. This is how God makes himself known in the world, 
A healthy church is not concerned with growing in numbers, but growing its members. Growth is a sign of life. Being a baby Christian for your whole lifetime is not spiritual growth. Growing trees is a clear sign that the tree is living and full of life. When somebody stops growing, or when something stops growing, it dies. Living things are able to swim upstream when trials are presented along the ways. Things that are dead flow with the current. The church has an obligation to grow to growing people in grace. If a church rests on solely what their pastor is teaching, or questioning God more than he is worshipped, or where the gospel is watered down and evangel- being an evangel- evangelicalism is left to the missionaries, then the health of its church is either dead or on life support. If we are to grow as a church, we must grow as individuals, and as a church, we must sit under the preaching from God's word. A couple of other thoughts in closing. As Easter rolled around, I came across a, a clip that many of you may have seen. It was a sermon by Josh Howerton, and Pastor Howerton offered a bit of an imagery to a congregation when he shared a made-up story of what it must have been like for the thief on the cross to enter heaven. Has anybody seen this? He joked that the angels probably asked him a series of questions when he arrived. Why are you here? Thief would have. Are you clear on the doctrine of the justification by faith? The thief would have responded, I've never heard of it in my life. The angel then asked, what about the doctrine of of Scripture? The thief responded with a blank stare. The angel then asked, on what basis are you here? The thief responded with, the man on the middle cross said I could be here. This is, this is the only answer for all of us. I use this as a reminder use this as a reminder to myself that no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, God gets all the glory. You should be striving and desiring to learn more about God's word to strengthen your walk and strengthen the church body. No matter, however, no matter where you are in your Christian journey, God can use you to be a disciple to this desolate world of lost sinners. He can use you to help grow the body of believers. Just need to be a willing vessel for God and shine his glory to others in the large and the small moments of life. In closing, if you would indulge me, let's remember the importance of discipleship in the old familiar kids' song, This Little Light of Mine. There's a variety of versions out there, but this is the one that I remember singing as a kid. As a kid. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it as a solo. I want to be welcome back to the church next week. 
But here are the words as a reminder as we head out to the upcoming week. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. No matter what walk of life God has called you to fulfill, Monday through Saturday, go, be faithful in the word, and God will advance his kingdom in his church through your faithfulness. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for the reminder that in your sovereignty, you will advance your church. However, this does not excuse us to remain idle on the sidelines, but it should strengthen our resolve to be the light to other believers and non-believers we come in contact with on a daily basis. Let our prayer not be a focus on numerical church growth, but spiritual maturity through your word for the individuals attending this church. The numerical growth of the church will be based on your sovereign direction, not the craftiness of human schemes and programs, lest any man should boast. Let this church grow in strength and wisdom through the reading and learning from your word in the church setting, but even more importantly, in the daily private moments away from the church. Let this be done in such a way that you receive all the glory and honor in the advancement of your earthly church and your heavenly kingdom. In these things we pray. Amen.